Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Today we will be talking to Amy Shepard, Head of Design for Zero. We will be covering topics such as what is the right composition of a design team, what skill sets she is looking for in a researcher, how do you bring an insight to life, how do you transform a product when it needs to be transformed, and also how do you build products that would successfully communicate with others within an infrastructure. We hope you enjoy it. Hi guys, um, and welcome back to the show. We are here today with Amy Shepard, the head of design for Zero. Hi, Amy. Hello. So I'm going to go right into it and ask you like our favorite question to ask our industry people, which is how would you define an insight and what is it for? Right into it. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think an insight is something that you realize about a person, uh, a new moment of understanding that helps you think about what you might do differently. You know, oftentimes they talk about it as sometimes it can be the smallest moment or the, the smallest detail um, before it becomes generalized and it can be very human and very specific. And I think that in terms of what it means for our industry, if we're making products for people and designing for people, really knowing who they are and what matters to them, you know, in those small moments is really where I think the difference is and the differentiator is in, in terms of really making things that people love. Do you have a favorite insight that you've come up with in your career so far? Well, I think probably I would tell the story around when I first started to get into design research, when I went off to graduate school at Art Center College of Design. So prior to that, you know, more typical graphic designer who kind of got into the digital space and dot-com era, but hadn't really focused on that more kind of research side of things. And we were, um, as part of the graduate program, working with HP to understand the tweens, ages 11 through 14, around mm -hmm. technology, a sense of agency and engagement. And so we were working with them and trying to figure out who they were, what did they feel in control of, what made them feel engaged. And we also, as a way of understanding our own bias, did some design kind of stream of consciousness studies around how did we think about technology. And mm -hmm. I was at the time 30 years old. And what we noticed was that our view and understanding of technology was maybe more sleek and kind of steel and gray. Uh -huh. And the kind of descriptions that tweens were talking about was more around cozy and comforting and <laughs> small. And I think that was just a moment of realizing how even in just that time, the difference in our relationship with that topic mm. um, was so different um, and how important it was to make sure that you then understand who you are designing for because your experience isn't everybody's experience. I love that. Like this is a great insight, like an insight that drives self-reflection on your own practice and your own views are, I think, also some of my favorites. In anthropology, one of the hardest things that they have to teach you is to be reflexive on your own perspective onto something and to understand that, you know, your own biases as a human being as you're trying to understand another. And it's a kind of a self-therapy investigation kind of thing that it's, yeah. it's not easy. Like we try to, to normalize a lot of things. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I know. And I, what I loved about it was too, that it was using kind of yeah. making, making mm. as a way of understanding almost the kind of unconscious bias that you might not even yes. be able to put words to. Yeah. So in connection to that, how would a good design process work for you through the experience that you have over the years in different companies? Well, I think that it's a combination around, you know, craft and experience and those things that, you know, you kind of learn through making and, and kind of what's kind of discovered as a collective unconscious. But then also, how do you connect that with really understanding who your users are and what's important to them? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think research and co-design um, and prototyping come into play. And I think it just depends on where you're at and what you're trying to learn and also how much time you have. But I really loved what you talked about in terms of the power of context. And I just saw, I was at Webstock in New Zealand last week mm -hmm. and saw Anna Picard, um, from who's the creative director of Voice and Tone at mm -hmm. Slack Talk, who has um, went and did a background in dramaturgy, which is all around yeah. understanding the context. Yes. And I think that that is such a, plays such a huge important role in what you're designing is who's going to use it. How are they going to be using it yeah. and, and when and in what frame of mind? Yes. And so, you know, really understanding the why and the what problem we're trying to solve is what ultimately guides how you might solve that and how you might design a solution and along with any sort of constraints. And so yeah. I think it's just around connecting all those things together through whatever process you employ. So what would be the perfect combination of a team for you that would go through this process? Well, good that you should ask that question. I've been doing a lot of thinking around this, and I think that, I think it depends, again, context, but it depends on what, what kind of company you're in and what you're trying to do. Because Zero is in the product space, and it's really around designing great products, um, creating great products, I should say, I really believe in creating empowered teams that is a is almost like the triad. We talk about product manager, product designer, and engineering lead. And then, of course, there's usually supporting, you know, members of that team as well, additional engineers, um, a design researcher, a product marketing person. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the ideal is that you create a team where they are each bringing their own skill set and expertise into the mix, but are working together to come up with the solution to solve a business problem. Mm -hmm. And you know, each one has their own kind of space, which I think, you know, the product manager is generally your domain expert, your customer, um, really knows the customer, really understands the segments and uses design research to get a better view of that. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your design person who's got formal training in design and then, you know, and really can work together and figuring out how to create things mm -hmm. for people. And of course, your engineers who have that technical knowledge and that space. But it's, it's so important that they each bring those ideas and work together, because I think that's ultimately where you're going to get the best outcome and the best solution. So that's what I think in terms of like a team mm -hmm. approach around product uh, that, you know, has been written about um, and is practiced at some of the best, you know, product companies out there from Amazon to yeah. Netflix to Airbnb. So does that answer that question for you? Totally. And when does the work of that particular team stop with that product? And what type of other team comes in if when they do stop? Well, I think that depends on a number of things. But ideally, you want to be creating a product team that stays together for a long period of time and is going to work 
either and, and there's different ways you can organize that mm-hmm. but they're working on a problem and are working on creating something for a user or in a certain space that that will be around for a long time so it'll allow them to continually work towards improving or um, you know delivering new things for that kind of group or you know platform space etc mm-hmm. because I think the whole point behind creating teams like that is not just bringing together people from different disciplines but it's also how humans work yeah. and the more you can build trust and comfort and understanding as a team mm-hmm. um, and you see this time and time again right in sports yeah. right it's, it's not just about individual performers it's about how the team works together that's where you start to really see things come to life because there's so many barriers otherwise that are can, can easily find their way into yeah. a process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the more you can sit next to each other and use those like moments of, yeah. of insight or something to kind of progress yeah. something, the better, you know, yeah. the outcome will be. Yeah. So I think in terms of when, when does it end? Ideally, it's a product team that goes on for at least a year or more and is working on a big enough problem that will be able to continue. Would they be staying with the product also after launch date? Yes, they would. And so I think this is a real big difference from, let's say, an agency model mm. to like product development you know, within a company. Because I think an agency model, there's a brief, yeah. you have to come in, you have to figure out what the problem is and deliver something. And you may or may not be there to see what happens next. And what the difference is, is I think if you are going to be around with something that you make, you number one are hopefully going to be invested in that solution. And you're, and you're also going to be able to evolve it over time. It's never really done, right? They always talk about, oh, you'll work it to as much time as you have and then it's finished. Mm-hmm. So things are never really done. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the eternal home decoration project, right? You know, and, um, and so it's really a matter of being able to kind of continue on, whereas I think that kind of make it and leave it idea doesn't generally create great long term experiences. Mm. Yeah. Are they also involved in maybe terminating the product or uh, taking it through a drastic reiteration? A drastic what? A, a drastic change. Like, I, I don't want to say kill, but it's, you know, it's, it's, terminated but or maybe it morphs into something else that is completely different from what it was at the beginning how have you experienced this space i think that is such a good question i think that those decisions are around what you know whether to continue to invest in something mm. and whether to continue to grow it or simplify are not easy ones to to come by but i do think that that's also part of the role i think that normally that probably is sitting more with product, head of product, to kind of look more strategically around, uh, is this product that we've made, does it have the right market fit? Is it is it delivering on the return of investment? How long do mm-hmm. you invest in something before it's, you know, it's just not going to pan out? I do think that those things do need to be part of the discussion. I think that where design can support that is really in trying to learn more quickly and get to that. And I think sometimes, you know, things might find their way into market, maybe not because they were tested, um, but because there was an idea mm-hmm. that thought that it would be great. And then it's live and it's out there and it's harder to kill. Mm. So I think, you know, they talk about, you know, the more attached you get to an idea, the harder it is to kill it off. And so, the, you know, how do you kind of find <laughs> ways to hold ideas loosely and, uh, and so I think the way you can do that is through early iterations and prototyping and testing and what, the, you know, that they call that discovery track so that 
hopefully you don't find yourself in a place where you might have invested a lot of time and energy into something that's live, but not really hitting the mark, which then makes it, I think, a little bit harder to kill. So yes, I, I, but it definitely <laughs> needs to be a part of the discussion for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard topic. It's, I've, I've read a few articles around that we're kind of trying to explore how creators in general, the, the designers, they kind of dissociate themselves inside that product and it becomes a kind of your baby. I don't want to say your baby, but it has so many similar associations to producing something that you have an attachment towards that it's very difficult to detach from your own work in it. So yes. I remember when I used to work for my last corporate company, this company had a very collective model of taking decisions, which in a certain sense eased that process because you are like, you know, it's like a collective where you have micro shell holders, like 200 people owning one thing. And then it's not about your personal investment in the thing as much as about the collective and the group. Um, and then it's much easier once you have a collective responsibility to kind of came, come to a collective decision to change, kill, do something with some, something else. Bureaucratically, mm -hmm. it might be more difficult, but emotionally, it's easier. Yeah. Because you're I not individually yeah. invested as much, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I do think that, you know, you do sometimes need people kind of looking at things from that perspective in a company just as much as you need people looking at, you know, it's all part of the, the pie. What type of researchers have you worked with so far? Well, what, what would be their background? Because I understand that the, the designers come from a clear, maybe cut design background. Or what would a researcher look like from the experience that you've had? We've got uh, people who are in the design research space who come from, it, from a variety of backgrounds, as you can imagine. I've worked with people who are designers who became researchers, like design researchers back in my time in, in New York City and the States. And I've also worked with designers who went more towards the human computer science kind of interaction, you know, more psychology based. And yes, yeah, so I would say that kind of primarily those are the kind of two main kind of people that I've worked with, either kind of people mm -hmm. coming from the psychology space or coming from the design space and who've learned through the research practice, human centered design methods, really mm -hmm. how to, you know, employ those um, practices. So that's kind of what I see in the team today. And what kind of things they bring to the table in the team? Um, what type of personality should that be? What type of traits should a person have in order to fit well into that mix that you were talking about at the beginning? I think that you are looking for people who can be able to help define the space in which they want to learn more and understand different ways of soliciting insights or, you know, or gathering information from people. And just people who are just naturally curious and driven to really wanting to understand the space and the people for which they're designing. Um, I, I wouldn't I don't know if you necessarily need to have extroverted people or introverted mm -hmm. people. I think you just need people who are really good at listening, are really good at asking questions that help draw out, you know, if it's an interview or designing yeah ways of journaling or exercises that are going to solicit different kind of feedback yeah. and output. And then also, I do think there's a, an ability to synthesize into something meaningful, because mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part for research. And there's also a little bit of kind of how do you create shared understanding? I, I really think that it's not enough for a researcher to go out and come back with a report about bringing other people along that journey so you get that kind of understanding because we're just people and that's, you know, seeing something with your own eyes makes it more, so much more real than reading it in a report. And so I think it's really just about looking at people who are naturally inquisitive in a space, but then 
really can ultimately come up with how that might change something or, or, or ways that that research can make a difference or how we can approach the problem or the solution in a different way. So, you know, the most successful researchers I see are able to build that relationship with the product management team and the product design team and change mm-hmm. uh, perhaps the plan yeah. uh, because based on the learnings. We've been talking to a lot of people around the challenges of, you know, bringing people that that have all those skills, but not necessarily a knowledge of business or um, an experience of business. And that's kind of like the, the difficult bit, right? Like, how do you learn to translate that, that information into something that the business finds valuable or that they can action or something that they kind of get inspired by that or they come with you on that journey? So I was wondering, what would you suggest to, let's say, one of some of our listeners that are maybe, they don't have experience with business, but they do have a strong experience with research, and they are interested in entering the business space. Like, what would be a way for them to start learning that environment? Helps to understand what is, are the concerns of the different people you're working with in business. Think about what you're learning, but to position it into what that means for them. So what will that mean for sales or what will that mean for the product or what will that mean for the revenue? You know, because I think inherently that's where the gap is. They don't understand how will this research help me achieve my goals. And then the more that you can put it into context that, you know, can help identify market fit, it can help you understand who your customer segments are and what's important to each of them so that you're making the right thing for them. Or it can help you test ideas early before you've invested too much time Mm. in them. But I do think trying to understand a little bit of who you're working with and and what are they trying to do and then how how can research help them. Mm. Um, I think that there's, you know, different perceptions of research. Sometimes people might think it slows things down. You know, how can you, you know, and I think there's ways, again, that you can quickly prototype and make and learn that doesn't have to slow things down. But I think sometimes when you're working in a a brand new space, it's really hard to know who that work is for. You know, I've been reading this book by Marty Kagan. Um, It's called Inspired, How to Create Great Tech Products That Customers Love. You know, what he talks about is how, you know, in that beginning, when you come up with, okay, I think we should probably move into this space and I think we can potentially make this much money and we think this is our users, that really it's almost impossible to really know the answer. The sooner you realize that and and can figure out a way to start quickly making and testing and learning until you get it right, the chances are that you'll be more successful what you're actually trying to do. And I think really understanding how research Mm -hmm. can help, you know, kind of leading up to this chat was around what is technology and I was like I don't even know how I would answer that but so I just had to look up some things on Google and um, so how would you define it well in the the reason I went there is that you know there's various definitions of it but it's really around this idea that it's a body of knowledge devoted to creating tools processes actions of extracting material and that it's essentially um, that we use it to accomplish various tasks in our lives And therefore, you know, it's really about extending our own abilities. And that makes people as the most important part of any technological system, because people are using this technology to do things to grow their abilities. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's where I think research and business, um, especially technology and tech companies, it's about that connection. And it all starts with understanding what people want to do. I love that. And understanding them on both sides, right? The, The users and the business needs. 
I think that sometimes it's it's difficult when you're approaching that from an um, agency perspective because you're always the outsider. One, when you are, I think, inside a business in a role, it, it gives you such a fertile ground of actually observing them and understanding them and, you know, not looking at them as somebody that's, that is not not helping you do your job the way you want to do it, but like finding the the space for a team to form, right? To say we're yeah. in this together, doing this project and understanding that each have different roles and different needs and different lives inside that space. And it's so much easier to do that when you're working inside a company than when you're just um, an outsider working on projects. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it, it's funny because I think it depends on the kind of company you have mm -hmm. and the culture. I do think sometimes when people go out to, to agencies, you can deliver the harder, the harder news mm -hmm. that yeah. everything you've been thinking is wrong. Because you, <laughs> that <laughs> is true. Because, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not part of that company. You're being paid, you're, you're being paid to, to help objective. them <laughs> to be objective and to find something that they didn't know. And I think building that influence within the company, it really depends on the, you know, how that research is valued, but also it is a dance because you are a business, right? We are trying to make money so we can continue to be mm -hmm. a business. So it's, it's that balance of yeah. knowing what our customers want, but what also do we need? Yeah, you know, and is it because and that's mm -hmm. where they talk about feasibility and mm -hmm. viability, right? Like it yes. might be perfect for the customer, but there's just no way we could do it. Yeah, yeah, those types of things. That is true. And I have another question around context, especially with technology. Like this has come to my mind when I was reading this article about um, this woman that did an experiment with an intelligent house, where she basically connected everything that she could in the house to an intelligent software. So her mattress was intelligent, the toaster was intelligent, um, everything was intelligent. And she tried to coordinate it via Alexa and it kind of failed miserably because what she was saying that all of these different technological developments, they don't have a common language of working with each other. And for her, she didn't care if she followed the perfect algorithm of the toaster, she would manage to do that. But for her, it, meant it was important that the toaster communicated with the other objects to make her life easier. Whereas the design behind those objects was meant with the idea to strengthen the connection between each object and the user rather than the object and another object. Yes. So that brings me to a question that has to do with context with other companies. And it has to do with technology that works better if it's in sync with other technology that might come from a different company that has a different flow and uh, different processes of coming to the same kind of understanding. Have you seen from your experiences process of co-design between technologies of different companies? Or what are your thoughts about that if you haven't? Well, I guess kind of highlighted a few things, which is, you know, what problem are people given to solve that will influence the solution? So I think that there are lots of examples out there where really what you're talking about is a, a language or a platform by which is designed to work with and enable a lots of other people to work together and deliver mm -hmm. something to the user. So anything from, you know, you're talking about the, the app store. Um, from Apple mm -hmm. yes. or Zero, it has a ton of partners and software partners, and we have a whole team dedicated to building that, you know, API system yes. to help enable that those connections to occur. Mm -hmm. You know, people to be able to collaborate yeah. and work together. I definitely think that that there's a huge value in that, and that's really when we talk about platform. 
really the thing that brings people together, whether it's Uber and Airbnb and Mm -hmm. eBay. It's it's understanding, you know, what is the infrastructure needed? Other things can work together, whether that's, you know, um, PayPal. I mean, you've got got tons of examples where Mm -hmm. say that that's really where a lot of things are moving and, and Alexa yeah. and, vo- and the whole voice kind of platform is just in, in the beginning of its journey. That's great. How early on in the design process would you see this connections being made? To like in terms of deciding that we want to we want to do that or we mm-hmm. want to work in that space? Yeah. Or it's more like uh, the project, the product is done and we recognize that we need to calibrate it with something else. I think really you need to kind of have a point of view where you want to head architecturally mm-hmm. before you start making yeah. something yeah. Um, because it's really hard to retrofit yes. anyth- anything. Yeah. I mean, from a house to software to a design solution, if mm-hmm. you don't, if you find out late in the game that it's actually supposed to also do something else yeah. that you didn't design yeah. for. So I think the sooner you know the vision mm-hmm. or at least have a set of guiding principles around something you're making, the, the better. There's a component of agile software development and agile yeah. is, is around creating high quality code that can change yeah. often. So there are principles in software development and other approaches that fundamentally recognize that the only constant is change. Yeah. Um, right. But still, again, architecting and having a, a sense of what are you working towards is really helpful yeah. in the very beginning. Yeah. yeah, that is that is such a great answer. For our listeners, we will put down all the references Amy makes uh, down below in the podcast episode so you can go check them out. Thank you so much, Amy, for giving us your time today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.